Hey guys, welcome to week three of the Journey series here at Three Circle Church. This is our summer series, and we are taking these different journeys all through the Bible. Beginning in Genesis, we're going to go all the way to the book of Revelation, and we're going to see that there are lots of incredible journeys in the Bible. What we would call them are God-designed trips with God-designed lessons. Every single one of these trips we're going to take in the Bible, these journeys that we're going to go on, they're going to teach us incredible life lessons. We started out with Noah and the ark. Last week, we looked at Abraham and Isaac going up to Mount Moriah and how God proved his faithfulness in both of those journeys. Well, now we're going to continue to walk through the Bible today, and we're going to see the most famous wrestling match in the entire Bible. Now, let's talk about wrestling for a minute. I don't know about you. I grew up in the 80s and the early 90s, and man, I loved wrestling. But the kind of wrestling I watched wasn't like real wrestling. I figured out later it was fake. I mean, I grew up watching Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. And my favorite of all was the macho man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was incredible, right? But And, and as a kid, I thought, this is real, man. These guys are, are really beating up on each other. But I, I'll never forget my dad pointing out to me one day. He said, son, if a 250-pound man hits another 250-pound man in the face with his fist, his face isn't going to look normal after that. Like, do you notice there's never a bruise? There's never a scratch on these guys. So I figured out that the wrestling I was watching was fake. Uh, but there is a very real sport of wrestling. In fact, one of our staff members at Three Circle Church, his son, uh, is a great wrestler. And, and I've learned a lot just talking to him about how incredible the sport of real Olympic and, and collegiate and high school wrestling really is. Real wrestling, unlike what we see on TV, real wrestling involves incredible athleticism. It, it involves uh, strategy. It involves strength. It involves the use of leverage. All of these things happen, happen in real wrestling. Well, today we're going to see an incredible story in the Bible, an incredible journey that a man named Jacob took. And really, Jacob's whole life had been a journey. Uh, but within his big journey of life, he was always on the move. He had lots of smaller journeys that taught him all kinds of lessons. And, and I think maybe the greatest lesson Jacob ever learned in his life is when he wrestled in the desert one night with God himself. So buckle up, get the itinerary out. We're going to take a look at this journey Jacob took. We're going to watch him wrestle the most famous wrestling match of all time in the Bible. And we're going to learn some amazing God-designed lessons on this God-designed trip.
All right, so today in the Journeys series, I have behind me an incredibly beautiful uh, classic Toyota Land Cruiser because when I think about Americana and I think about the summer trip, I think about classic cars for me, man. I think about Airstream trailers. I think about classic trips. I think about a cooler full of root beers and lemonade. And I think about something classic like this. Well, today we're looking at a classic story, an ancient story. When you look at the Old Testament, there's some of these guys that are very, very important. They're like mountains of people, and they're known as patriarchs. And the guy we're looking at today is one of those. His name is Jacob, and he was a guy who was always on the move, and he can teach us so many lessons from his journeys. And what we're going to look at today is him wrestling with God, but we need to know, how did he get there? Let's get Jacob's background a little bit. So first thing you need to know is Jacob was born to his parents, Isaac, who we talked about uh, just last week. Isaac, when he was a young man, well, he grows up, marries Rebecca, and they have uh, twin sons. And their sons' names are Esau and Jacob. Jacob, the guy we're going to look at today, uh, was one of those twins. In fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis 25, uh, beginning in verse 19, a little bit about how Jacob was born. It says this, This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So there's this really cool thing that happens in the Bible. There's a lot of miracle babies. And in Esau and Jacob's case, they were miracle twins. The Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, so she prayed, she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, of course, we know God is sovereign, and He knows all things. So He was letting Rebecca in on a little bit about their future. She's going to have these two twin boys, but there's going to be a lot of problems, a lot of struggles with them. So the Bible goes on. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a skillful hunter and a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah love Jacob. Now let's talk a little bit about these boys, Esau and Jacob. So you see here the birth story of Jacob and his brother Esau. Now let me tell you what happens after that. It's an amazing story because often as children, we kind of get defined a little bit, right? We get poured into a mold. Uh, my wife makes these incredible cakes. And when, when my kids were little, she used to make these cakes uh, using molds, and they would turn into all kinds of different things, right? They would turn into cakes that were like shaped like guitars and shaped like other things. Well, here we see uh, that Jacob and Esau are both being defined as little kids, like literally when they were born. So they were twins, but Esau came out first. And the Bible says literally Jacob was hanging on to his foot. The struggle was real, and it started in the very beginning. But the reason it's so important that Esau came out first is because Esau, uh, listen, was the firstborn. And in those ancient cultures, the firstborn basically was in charge. The firstborn got a very spiritual blessing, and the firstborn basically inherited everything. 
So it's incredible when you look at just what that firstborn child would receive. And Esau was clearly the firstborn. But then you see some family dynamics, and I bet your family has them too. And just so you know, this has been going on from the beginning of time. So this is an ancient story, and yet you have family dynamics. Guess what? Dad, Isaac, had a favorite, and it was the burly man's man, Esau. The Bible tells us Esau was like Harry. You know, he's like, he's like Magnum P.I. He's like Tom Selleck from the 80s, okay? He, he's, he's a man's man, burly. He likes to hunt. He brings in wild game. He's that guy. And Jacob, Jacob, no less manly, so to speak, because manhood can be defined in a lot of different ways, but he's just not an outdoorsy guy, and evidently Isaac was. Jacob liked to hang out at the house, and evidently Jacob became a very good cook. He was a very good chef, and Esau loved to eat. So Jacob's hanging out with his mom, and we kind of know a little bit about his mom. His mom was a, was a crafty woman, and she's going to actually talk Jacob into later on as the boys grow up, She's going to talk Jacob into and even help him plan a deception plan so that he can trick Esau into giving him his birthright. And he does that. Not only does he trick deceptively his brother Esau into giving him his birthright for a, basically a pot or a bowl of food, he then has to also trick his dad. Isaac at this point was an old man and he was going blind. And literally, uh, Jacob acts like he is his brother Esau and tricks his old dad, lies to his dad. He puts goat skins, animal skins on his body. That tells you just how hairy Esau must have been. Brother needed some laser hair removal treatment, right? So Jacob goes in with these animal skins and Isaac reaches out to touch him and he realizes that it doesn't sound like Esau. And the Bible tells us, he says, is this really you, Esau? And Jacob lies to him, says, yes, it is, it is Esau. And he blesses Jacob, transferring all of the rights that Esau had to Jacob. When Esau comes back and finds out what has happened, he's ready to kill Jacob. And he goes after Jacob. And Jacob then leaves his home and goes on a very long journey. His life becomes a an on-the-run journey. He leaves home, he live, leaves all the promises of, of his family, and he goes to a place called Haran, to Laban. That's where his uncle Laban lived. And he goes there and he works for Laban for a really long time in this place called Haran. And in Haran, Jacob feels like he's put all of that behind him. He doesn't have to worry about Esau anymore. He's away from he doesn't have to face his past. He doesn't have to face the fact that he lied to his dad. He doesn't have to really deal with anything. So he kind of goes to a place where he can be his own man and do his own thing. And sometimes that can be healthy. But in Jacob's case, it's not healthy because he's running from stuff. He's never dealt with it. Let me just tell you this today. The Bible is pretty clear that it's never a healthy thing to not deal with your past. Now, you should not live in your past, but you must reckon with it. You must deal with it in a healthy way. And the Bible is also clear that we need to confess our sins. And Jacob to this point had not done that. Jacob basically steals the birthright, steals the blessing and runs. And he will not take responsibility and he will not deal with what has happened. He makes no attempt to make things right with his dad or make things right with his brother and he runs. He goes to Uncle Laban. He ends up falling in love with one of Laban's daughters and he works for a very long time. To, to get the right to marry this beautiful girl. And he does. But then there comes a time where God tells Jacob, hey, you need to go back home. And this is something I think that he will do for a lot of us. In our life journeys, let me ask you something. 
Is there anything in your past that you need to deal with? Are there broken relationships in your life that you've tried to brush under the rug and you've just let years and years, maybe even decades go by and you're just trying to forget it? Can I tell you, that's not healthy. And, and, and God wants us to, to reconcile when we can with people, especially loved ones. Have you hurt people that you need to be honest with them about it? Have you, have you deceived people where you need to go, hey, I need to tell you the truth here. Are there any broken pieces behind you in relationships that, that you really need to repair, that you need to do something about? Well, as Jacob learned to walk with God, God began to speak to him and say, hey, you need to go back. It's time for you to go back home because God had a plan for Jacob's life. But Jacob wasn't going to be able to receive all that God had for him or to be the man God called him to be without going back and dealing with things. So Jacob took a really long journey away from home, but now he's going to take a journey that's going back home because sometimes you have to go back before you can go forward. Sometimes you have to go back before you can step into all that God has for you. And maybe some of you are there today. So, so Jacob listens to God and he heads back in the direction of his old home where Isaac and Rebekah were, where Esau is now. And as you can imagine, that'd be a scary thing, right? Well, that's where we're going to pick up the story. Jacob is headed back home after decades. He's headed back home, and we're going to see what's going to happen next. So at this point in the story, you need to understand that Jacob now and Esau are both full-grown men, and they're both very wealthy. Jacob has become a wealthy man in his time away from home. He has wives. He has children. He has lots of servants. He has lots of property. And in those days, riches really meant your livestock and your oxen and your donkeys. All of those things meant money. And Jacob is very wealthy. He's got a big group of people and he's bringing this whole caravan back home. And he has no idea how Esau is going to react, but he knows that he's got to face Esau. There's no doubt. God's telling him he's got to go back. And for him to go back in order to go forward, ultimately, He's going to have to deal with the past. He's going to have to deal with Esau, and that's going to be tough. So we see in Genesis chapter 32, verse 3, it says, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau. So they're on their way back, and when they get a little bit closer, he sends messengers ahead to Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying this, Speak thus to Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Jacob's basically extending a huge olive branch here. He does not know. He knows that Esau was a temperamental man, a big man, a strong man, and he knows that the last time he saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. It's been a long time though. Well, verse six says this, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. So it's like, uh-oh, he's not just waiting on you. Now he's coming to where you are, and he has 400 men with him. That sounds like an army. That doesn't sound good. So Jacob doesn't know what to do now. Verse 7, so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. So the, here's the thing. I want, you, I want you to see this about Jacob. Jacob, his whole life, he tricked his dad. He tricked his brother Esau. He's been conniving and what we would say cunning for a long time. He's a cunning person. 
He's always been able to wiggle his way out of things. He's a mover and a shaker. He's always been smarter than the people around him. Even when he went to Uncle Laban, if you know the story, he did some things there that, that uh, basically were, you know, questionable. And, and here he is coming back towards Esau. And, and you see his first reaction, Jacob, his whole life, his first reaction is to figure it out himself, is to use his ingenuity and maybe even deception if he has to, to figure life out. He always has. Jacob has always depended on himself. That's who he's been. He's been defined as the guy who schemes and tries to make things happen his whole life. So if you see here, you'll see the order. When he got afraid, the first thing Jacob had always done his whole life is try to figure, out, figure it out on his own. But there's something changing in Jacob because the Bible says this time, he, he, he still goes on his own way first. He still says, I got to figure this out first. But then he does something interesting. He prays. Verse 9, Then Jacob said, O God, my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I'll deal well with you. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now this is, this is good. Because what we see on Jacob's journey is he's finally learning that he really needs God. And now he's facing a situation that he realizes if God doesn't intervene, it's not going to go well. Now, what's still not good is that Jacob first tried to do it on his own. His first instinct is still not to go to God first. It's to go to Jacob first. And let me just say this today. We must learn as believers to go to God first and to depend on God completely. What's your first instinct when you get in trouble? Is it to try to use your ingenuity or use your connections to figure it out and make stuff happen and be a mover and a shaker? Or is your first instinct to always stop and turn to God and ask God to lead you. See, Jacob made decisions here without God telling him what to do. God didn't tell him to split up the company. God didn't tell him to take all these risks by splitting up his family and coming up with this ingenious plan. God didn't tell him to do any of that. Jacob made his plans, and then he asked God to bless him. And that's what many of us do. The wrong way to live life is to make your plans and then ask God to bless them. In the book of James, it says, foolish people act like they have all of these plans when they may not even have tomorrow. Let me tell you what wisdom does. And Jacob is going to become wise, but it's going to require a wrestling match. Jacob has got to learn, and you and I have to learn, to go to God first, then make our plans. To bring God in on the front end so that our steps are ordered by the Lord. The Bible says a righteous man, his steps are ordered by the Lord. Jacob's not there yet. Jacob's still moving the pieces of the puzzle himself. He needs God to teach him to depend on him. And that is exactly what God is about to do. God is about to meet Jacob in that desert on his journey. And he's going to forever define him and forever teach him that he must depend on God. Let's go to the wrestling match right now. All right, so here's the scene. Jacob is out in the desert and he's very vulnerable. He's got his whole family, his whole crew, but he does not have 400 men ready to fight like Esau does. And all he knows is that Esau is on his way to him with 400 men. It does not look good. So the Bible says this in verse 22 of chapter 32 of Genesis. It says, And Jacob arose that night, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, 
and he crossed over the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over all that he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, the word man in the scriptures there is depicted with a capital M. There, there will also be a term, the angel of the Lord wrestled with him. Whenever you see these terms like man with capital M and the angel of the Lord, what this is, is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus. This is Jesus. Jacob is going to say that he wrestled with God that night. He's also going to say that he came face to face with God. Well, what we know in Christianity is that we believe in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this is that part of the Trinity, that member of the Trinity who will eventually come in human flesh and die for us. So here is Jesus, the Son of God, the triune God, in the desert meeting Jacob on his journey. And he will meet you on your journey as well. But here's the thing. Jacob had always been a distracted guy, like a lot of you. Jacob was a busy guy. He always had something going. He's always moving and shaking, entrepreneurial, starting stuff, going places. Nothing could keep him down. Always had a plan, always had a quick thing to do. Always turning the tables on the people around him, including Esau and his own dad. He had always been that guy. And he's that guy, I can be this way, I bet a lot of you can, where you're just so busy, running so hard, so distracted, that it takes God stopping you in your tracks to really get your attention. Well, that happened this night. God orchestrated the whole thing to where finally Jacob was alone. And maybe this is the first time in his life that Jacob truly was alone. No one around him. Mom's not in his ear. Esau's not coming after him. His uncle Laban isn't working deals with him. He's not trying to win a woman's love. He doesn't have the kids and the servants around. No, no. He's all by himself. Have you ever been alone? for a little while, like really alone, no cell phone, nobody talking to you, and suddenly your mind begins to think. You think about things you haven't thought about in a long time. You focus in a way that you haven't focused in a long time. That's what happened to Jacob that night. And it was there that, that, that God met him. Let me tell you, one of the best things that can happen to you is on a regular basis, find a way to get alone with God. Sometimes it'll be that he'll wrestle with you like he did Jacob. Here's what happens. When we get alone with God, God gives us what we need. And what Jacob needed that night was a wrestling match. Sometimes what God's going to give you if you'll get alone with Him is the comfort you need. Sometimes if you get alone with God and get undistracted and really focus on Him, He will give you encouragement or He will give you a word that you need. If you read the Word of God, He will speak to you. He'll correct you. But you can know this. Your Heavenly Father, if you will regularly connect with Him and get along with Him, he will give you what you need, whatever that may be. And he knows what you need more than you do. I'm sure Jacob didn't expect to wrestle with God that night, but it's exactly what he needed because Jacob needed what we'll call a defining moment. And if you will, listen, Jacob had, had been living his whole life, years he had lived without a moment like this with God. He knew all about God. He grew up in a family that's patriarchal. He, he was literally in the flow of biblical history. He, he's a patriarch of the Old Testament, yet his relationship with God up until this point had been very peripheral. He hadn't really experienced God. It doesn't seem that he had really had a relationship with God. We really just begin to see him interacting with God, and now God has him alone. Let me ask you this. What if you had regular alone time with God? that included wrestling him sometimes, but also included encouragement and, and correction and guidance. That's how important 
being alone with God is. If you won't get alone with God, if you're his child, he'll, he'll pull the rug out from under you and do like he did for Jacob. But what if we plan to be alone with God on a regular basis? I think it could change our lives. So here, Jacob finds himself alone at last. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Verse 25, now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Doesn't that sound like Jacob? So he said to him, and this is important, verse 27, what is your name? What is your name? Jesus gets Jacob alone and he looks at him and he asks him a question. Isn't it interesting? They're wrestling all night long. And he looks at him and he says, who are you? Jacob, tell me who you are. I'm your creator. I want you to tell me who you are right now. And you know what? I think this is one of the most important questions any of us can answer. I'll ask you the question right now. Who are you? Who are you really? And who has decided who you are? Is it you? Is it the people around you? What has defined you? If I were to say who you are, would you tell me what your job is, your career? Would you tell me your failures, your past? Would you tell me your strengths or who you married or your kids? Or, or is it more than that? Who are you really? Well, Jesus asked him who he is, and Jacob answered very simply. He said, I'm Jacob. Jacob. Jacob, that name that he was given when he was born, Jacob. I'm always second fiddle. Jacob, the word Jacob literally meant one who struggles, a deceiver in a way. It wasn't a great name back then. Names meant something. And Jacob, in exhaustion, looks at God and says, I am who everyone has said I am. I'm a failure. I tricked my dad. I tricked my brother. He wants to kill me now. Nothing has ever worked out really great for me, and I'm always acting like I have my act together, but really I'm always moving from one thing to another, and you got me. You got me out here in the desert, and I just want you to bless me, and I want a relationship with you. Listen to him. He's saying, I just, I'm not letting go. This moment, I need this moment. You can see his desperation. Have you ever gotten there where you realize all of your conniving and cunning and planning isn't working? Life just isn't working? It may just be the best place you could be if you can hit that spot where you really turn to God and go, God, this is who I am. And Jesus, I think, asked all of us that question because he wants us to answer it so that he can then change it. When we're willing to go to God for our identity, he's willing to give us a new one. And that's what Jacob, Jacob didn't just need deliverance from Esau that night. See, often we go to God thinking we know what we need. But Jacob needed much more than deliverance from Esau. In fact, you're going to find out he didn't need deliverance from Esau at all. Esau's not even mad at him anymore. When this is all over, Esau's going to come and hug his neck and weep, and there's going to be this beautiful reunion. Esau's not coming to kill Jacob. He's coming to greet him. Jacob doesn't know that, though. Jacob thinks the number one need in his life is deliverance from Esau. But what he doesn't know is the number one need in his life is for his heavenly Father to tell him who he is. Because everyone else, including himself, has decided that he's nothing more than a deceiver. He's never going to amount to anything else. But this is the beauty. Listen, when God tells us who we are, it's who we really are. When God tells you who you are, it's who he sees in you, who he created you to be. So what happened when Jacob said to Jesus, to the Son of God, 
I'm Jacob. I'm who everyone has always said that I am. Well, verse 28, God said to him, Jesus said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and you have prevailed. Isn't that amazing? And then Jacob asked saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. And you know what Peniel meant? It meant this, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Isn't that amazing? Jacob realized that he had not just been wrestling an angel or a man. He had been face to face with God. He'd been face to face with God. And on that night, I love that Jesus looked at Jacob and said, yeah, I know this is what your dad told you and this is what your mom told you and, and yeah, you earned some of that name and yeah, you earned some of this identity you've been stuck with, but you do, are not. Listen, if you come to God, you do not have to be stuck in your past. You got to deal with it, but you don't have to be stuck in it. Let me say that again. In God, you will have to deal with your past, but you're not going to have to be stuck in it. God sometimes will make you go back so that you can go forward. But let me say this. No matter how this culture, this world, or even your own mistakes in your own life have attempted to define you, God refuses to let His own children be defined by anything else but Him. So as I stand here today in front of this incredible classic car, you know, I, I, I really, when we're done filming, I'm, I want to get in this thing and just take a road trip because it's so awesome. But I'll tell you, the journey I could take in this thing doesn't come close to the journey I think God wants all of us to take, the journey that we take with Him. Because if we will travel with Jesus, if we'll take His God-designed trips, He will define us. Some trips define us. Some trips we take were never the same, and this one was like that for Jacob. This trip to the desert on that night changed him forever. He was never the same. And there's a few things he learned that night that I think you and I can learn right now from his story. Number one is this. Sometimes you have to go back before you can go forward. We must deal with our past, but we must not stay stuck in our past. And that's what we see here. God demanded that Jacob go back and deal with things that he needed to deal with to make things right. And the beauty is, is that we don't have to be stuck in our past because Jesus himself has dealt with our sinful past on the cross. All we have to do is come to him and repent and receive his forgiveness. Forgiveness is available for you. But if you don't deal with it, if you don't take it to God and also uh, deal with it, not just vertically with God, but also horizontally with others, if you don't do those things, you will walk with the weight of that forever. See, sometimes you got to go back before you can go forward. Secondly, God wants to give you your identity. God wants to tell you who you are. And too many of us, frankly, are defining ourselves by the culture. We're defining ourselves with our looks, with our success, with what we have, materialism. The list goes on and on and on and on. We must allow God to define us. Do you know the Bible says in the New Testament that when we are in Christ Jesus, when we are saved, we are a new creation the old is gone, behold, the new has come. Isn't that good news? That's what God did for Jacob in the desert that night. Jesus one day would go to the cross and die to solidify everything he promised Jacob that night in the desert. He looks at Jacob and he says, you're no longer who everyone has said you are, you're now Israel. That's the first time that word's used in the Bible. For Jacob, he gives Jacob the name Israel. And you know what Israel means? It means prince of God. It means relationship with God. It means intimacy with God. So that night, Jesus renamed Jacob 
Jesus redefine Jacob. He can do the same for you. Some of you are here and you think, you know what? I'm a divorcee. I have made mistakes in my past. What The list goes on. Some of you think you're not worthy. You think, man, I made all of these mistakes. I've lost too many jobs. I've never been organized. Uh, I have a bad temper. I'm known to be flaky. On and on and on it goes. You may be here and you may go, I'm a person who, who years and years ago, I had an abortion. And I have dealt with that grief and that guilt and you have felt defined by that. Or you feel defined by, by, by things that you've said that, that you wish you could take back. There's all of these things that try to define us. And they are, frankly, distractions to what God can do in your life. God had to get Jacob alone. He had to get all the stuff that filled his life out of the way so he could have Jacob one-on-one. And what I would say to you is, it's going to require that for you to let God tell you who you are. The past can be really in the past and you can have a new life in Christ Jesus. If you will allow Him to identify you, to really tell you who you are, because you'll never know who you really are unless you find that in Christ Jesus. Third, we learn this. We need time alone with God. God manufactured this alone time on the journey of Jacob for Jacob. And He'll do that for you too. But wouldn't it be better if we plan regular times of being alone with God, where we remove the distractions, where we got alone so that God could remind us who we are, so God could give us direction, so God could send us forward? What would it look like if you and I regularly jumped in the land cruiser of our life, got out in the woods, if you will, proverbially of our lives, and got alone with God on a regular basis? One night alone with Jesus changed Jacob forever. What, what would happen if you and I did it every day? That would be pretty amazing. And then finally, I think we learned this. See, Jacob, if Jesus wouldn't have popped Jacob's hip, do you know the Bible says he lent the rest of his life? Jacob, the guy who had always been able to make it happen, the guy who always had a plan, Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. He remembered that wrestling match. Why did God do that? Because Jacob needed to learn how to depend on God, and he never forgot the lesson. And God gave him a physical reminder because if God would not have weakened Jacob, Jacob would have gone into this deal with Esau trying to make it happen on his own, trying to make the plans. But when Jacob left the desert that night, he knew who he was like never before, and he knew who God was like never before. And finally, he knew that he could depend on God and would have to. And that's one of the best things that can happen to you and I, is to realize that with all the cunning and planning that we can do, we need God. And we don't need to go to Him after we've made our plans. We need to go to Him before we've made our plans. That's what we need to do. And let Him define us. And let Him lead and guide us. What about today? What could you learn from this journey? So after every great trip, we need to unpack, right? That is the unpacking. That's the unpacking on this journey today. Get along with Him. Be sure that you're willing to let Him define you and nothing else define you. And you need to make sure that you depend on God first and foremost, not on yourself, not on your own abilities, but on Him. So today what we like to do at Three Circles, we like to use music sometimes to drive a point in. Like when I get into the Land Cruiser here, turning the radio on, man. We'll listen to some road music. Now, we have a song today that I think is going to help you never forget this story about Jacob because God asked you the same question He asked Jacob that night. Who are you? Who are you? And when we allow God to tell us who we are, we get this resounding answer that we are beloved, 
that He loves us. We don't deserve it, but He loves us. He's there for us. He's redeemed us. And in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. So right now, during the Journey series, would you listen to this song and be blessed by this beautiful journey and not only what this journey meant for Jacob, but what it means for you today, right where you are. Listen to the song.